And this is the very start of the Christian journey for some of our heroes in the Christian faith. This is brand new, groundbreaking IPO type stuff. And you talk about a return on investment here, whereby acknowledging Jesus Christ before men, Jesus will acknowledge you before his Holy Father. Whereby losing your life for Jesus' sake, you will actually find it. A challenge our text presents to us this morning is whether we have committed ourselves fully to Jesus Or have we compartmentalized our faith so it's just part of our life, but not all of our life? Perhaps some of us have sectioned out our life into these segments where where some of those segments are not fully open to the authority of Jesus. Last week we looked at the authority of Jesus, and how many of us have only submitted parts of our lives to God's authority, but not all of it? We keep some of it for ourselves, and it's kind of like... When you open up your iPhone or your iPad or, or uh, you know, an iPod, which then later produces an iBroke. Um, and, and in those Apple products, right, there, there are these different apps that show up on the screen. There's like a ton of these apps and you can purchase them or get them for free. And perhaps some of us have created this app where it's a Jesus app. But in order to get to the other, other apps in our life, right, the work, the school app, the relationships, the parenting, the marriage, the whatever, we close the Jesus app and then we open up the other ones, thinking that we can't have them open all at the same time. And perhaps some of us view our Christian life in such a way. That the, that the Jesus app is only open on Sunday or when we do things relating to the church, but not the rest of the time. The rest of our life, we have these other apps open, we work, life, and school, and, and hobbies, and all these other things, but we tend to close that app, the Jesus app, and we have these other ones open. But Jesus didn't come to be compartmentalized. He's not an app. Jesus, whether you like it or not, he invades the very privacy of your life. You talk about Big Brother. He does this. He, he's right beside you on the road for those of you who suffer from road rage. So all of you from L.A., he's with you. <laughs> I am one of them. I confess. So, so Jesus is present with you when you're on the internet looking at whatever you look at. And for that matter, he's there with you whatever type of media you're looking at, whether you're in the movie theater or in front of your TV watching some cable program or print media. He, he's there. He's right there. And Jesus is with you when you're asleep, when that other person is your spouse or not your spouse. He's right there. So he goes with us to our marriages. He goes with us into our homes, with our families, our jobs, our recreational activities. He's there all the time. Jesus comes to enter our thought life. And for most of us, that is a really scary and sick place. And there's just nowhere to hide from the Lord, right? Psalms chapter 139, verse 5. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Before we get into our text this morning, I want us to point I want us to go back to Luke chapter 4 verse 21 because this verse is going to help us contextualize the passage of of our scripture this morning. Chapter 4 verse 21, and he, Jesus, began to say to them, "Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." 
Now, Jesus was referring back to Old Testament Scripture, namely Isaiah. And he was doing so with authority, right? The other rabbis, they would always quote other people. They didn't have this direct authority. And the prophets had this delegated authority. They always said, thus saith the Lord. But Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God. And he says, I say. Right? So the son of a carpenter, the son of a woman who has this ruined reputation, sits down in the teaching platform. And he declares that the Messiah has come today. Right? Everything that the Scriptures prophesied regarding the Messiah comes true today when he sat down right there. Now from here on out, Luke chapter 4, verse 21 is, is this manifestation of Jesus' declaration. Moving forward from this point on, how everything plays out from Luke chapter 4, verse 21 forward are the signs of this declaration of truth from Jesus. So let's just start in our text, verses 1 through 3. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put, on a, put it out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. We don't know when chapter 5, verse 1 takes place. Right? We're, we're not told there. It just reads, on one occasion. So we don't know that time frame there. But we know that the scripture was fulfilled from Luke chapter 4, verse 21. So that all the days from that point, fulfilled by the presence of Jesus, everything that happened afterward was a fulfillment of the presence of Jesus. Now what Luke is doing is he's, he's writing in all these accounts, right? In his gospel, he's writing us these accounts to solidify the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of scripture, that deliverance from demons, these healings, these reconciling of relationships, these saving of souls, these purifying of hearts, these calling of disciples to follow Him, all those were things to solidify that Jesus was the Messiah and the fulfillment of Scripture. Now Luke likes to refer to the Sea of Galilee as a lake, which I kind of agree with him. It doesn't really look much like a sea. And he calls it the Lake of Gennesaret. And the other gospel writers refer to it as a sea, but he calls it a lake. Now, one of the things I do in preparation for a sermon is I do a structural outline. And within that structural outline, I record all the verbs in the passage because it's really important. You've got to know what's going on, right? So, so taking a look at the verbs here in verses 1 through 3, not all of them, but some of them. Pressing, here, standing, washing, sat, taught. Okay, so the verbs are very important are very important for us to pay attention to. And when we do that for this passage, you notice that this is just a really lively sequence of historical events recorded by Luke. And we see that Jesus had left the formalities of religion within that synagogue and, and has now ventured out into the world. And the setting has changed, but Jesus is not. The authority is still with him. His word has not changed. The word of God has not changed. And you see that at the end of verse 1. The crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. That was the same thing throughout, right? It was the word of God. And that's what we do as followers of Jesus. We speak the word of God so that others may hear the word of God. And Jesus had authority being God. We have authority being God's children and having his word. And you notice another thing with me here about Jesus in these few verses. Jesus, Jesus must have taken Toastmasters or something. Because he's very aware of good, effective public speaking. 
right? Where the crowd is pressing on him. He's right on the lakeside. This just isn't a good place to teach a crowd. Like, well, how are you going to project your voice and you're crowded in like this? And so, how is he supposed to teach this audience when they're all up in their, all up in his face? Right? So he doesn't get flustered. He he doesn't like say, "Boom back," and they all fall, or he doesn't do anything like that. He's he's good at problem solving. So he's like, "Hmm, boats." So he, he doesn't get, he, he's not distracted, he just kind of finds a solution. And any of you who are speaking in groups or have spoken in groups, you, you know what I'm talking about. There are some who don't feel the audience and, and they just go say whatever they plan to say without kind of moving with the flow or the reaction of the audience. And then there are some that, that do go with the flow of the audience and they notice everything that's happening out there, and, and, but that's not always good. It's not always good because when I'm trying to preach, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to preach and I'm trying to you look at my notes, but, I, but then I get to think, like, why did that person just leave the sanctuary? And then, and then I'm not going to use any examples from this morning's service because I don't want to point you out. I'm going to use previous examples. But if you get up, I'm going to point you out. And so, um, so in the past... There was a woman that stood up. I was just like 10 minutes, not even 10 minutes into my sermon. And she stood up and she walked out. And I was like, oh, maybe the bathroom. But no, she walked out. I was like, did I say something wrong? Was I offensive? Am I dressed weird? Did I bore her? Like, what's going on? And I have all these conversations in my head while I'm preaching. And it's crazy. And it's not just one thing. Because if it's like four people, I have four different conversations in my head. And I'm preaching. It's crazy. And I don't know how many of these side dialogues I have in, in my head while I'm teaching. So there are things that you can do to help me preach better. Sit down and stay. <laughs> it's, just, you know, it's, it's just less distracting for me. Um, even though I, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty middle of the road when it comes to distractions. My, my, my baby, my toddler, and my preschooler, they've just conditioned me. I'm not that easily distracted. Others of you might be, though. You know, if someone stands up and goes out, you might. And I know this to be true. And you're like, how do you know? Did you ask everyone? How did you know? Because I, I see it in the eyes of men, mostly. When there's a cute girl that walks out, like, you follow along. You're like, come on, man. Look at it. Come over here. Over here. Right? Come on. So, so I know. I know. So, so you see how scary things are up here? You notice everything. Right? I, you see every, I see everything. If you're tweeting or something, I see it. Stop it. So here we have Jesus, who is at the master of public speaking, who is the master of teaching, who is the master of classroom management or lakeside management. And so it's getting kind of chaotic. And in order for his ministry to be effective, he has to take some action. So what does he do? He sees Simon's boat, gets into it, asks Simon to push it out a little bit from the shore because otherwise the people will still be right there, like up here, like, hey, Jesus, what are you? And he's like, come on, get back, get back, get back. So he's out a little bit, and people aren't going to go up to this high, right? They're not going to be like treading water the whole time while he's doing this. So, so he's out a little bit, sits down, just as a position of a teacher would take, and he starts to teach. Now, For those who would have been to this site before because you've gone to the Holy Land before and we've gone to the Sea of Galilee and we've seen these spots and and where these tour guides claim, like, that's where he taught. So it's such and such. I don't know how they claim those things, but they do. And I think they do it because they charge admission for you to go into those sites. But they're like, yeah, that's where he taught, where where he told Simon to throw the nets over and that's where he caught all the fish. And like, okay, fine, fine. Anyway, there's a bunch of these spots that are great acoustically. All around the lake. 
And if you've been there, you know this. Because you go there and, and because of the, the shape of the lake and the mountains there and then the water, uh, the, the acoustics are just really great. You don't need a microphone. Jesus can just teach. And so some people wonder, how did he teach 5,000 people? Go sometime and you go to the bottom of the hill and one of my friends who, who is a tour guide, he just speaks in normal voice and I could hear him like 200 yards away. So that's how it's done. And so um, here we have Jesus. He, he takes advantage of these acoustics, the lay of the land, and he teaches. Also notice how Jesus adapts to whatever situations in front of him while still proclaiming the kingdom of God. Right? Jesus didn't have this executive pastor or this administrative staff. And those things are good, were applicable. But there's, there's not this thing about ministry in that it can't get done without the order and without this organization and all this stuff. Now, to a certain extent, when I enter churches who have everything down to a T and everything's so professional and, and everything's just like works like clockwork, I walk in there. Some of you may think like, oh, this is so professional. This is great. Personally, when I walk in here, I'm like, stale. I don't like this. This is kind of weird, right? There, what, something I do like about Regen is just the, the rawness here. I, I, I like it. I like that it's... It's, it's not all figured out. I like that it's not all pro and everything. I, it, not all of it. I mean, I, I don't like everything that's all raw. Some of it is like overkill raw. It's like, please, that thing is molding raw. Like, stop doing that. So, so some stuff, yeah, I want to change some stuff. But I don't want to become all corporate either, where it's just stale and it's just like this kind of setting. Anyway, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. What's happening here? Well, something pretty obnoxious is happening here. If you're a professional fisherman, which I think we have one, uh, that we can apply toward all of our lives, right? Because as long as Jesus is using Simon's boat for something other than fishing, it's all good. It's all good. But as soon as Jesus enters Simon's domain, his area of expertise, well, I'm not down with that. I'm not cool with that. Right? So, so you see how we can be guilty of compartmentalizing things of Jesus. Right? How we can lay claim to things and not submit to Jesus in some areas of our life. See, Simon was kind of fine with Jesus using his boat as a pulpit. But once Jesus crossed into Simon's area of claim, right, there was something resistant about Simon. Right? Jesus, you're a carpenter turned teacher. and You're an awesome one at that. I'm not saying that. But what do you know about fishing? I know about fishing. I am a fisherman. In areas of carpentry, in areas of spiritual things, I'll follow your lead. I will follow you. But this, my thing. This fishing thing, my thing. Regarding this stuff, I know this stuff better. I know best. And it's probably like some of us. Jesus, you can speak to me in regards to spiritual things, spiritual nature, but, but you don't know about the world of finance to solve our economic crisis. You don't know about the newest diseases that we're trying to find cures for. You can't possibly know more than me in that arena. I have a PhD. So Jesus, you just stick to Sunday. And, I, well, I guess you can branch out a little bit. You can show up on prayer groups and stuff throughout the week. But leave the other stuff to the pros. 
Leave that stuff to us. I'll tap on the Jesus app when I need it. But for now, step aside. I'll close yours and I'll open my other ones. Let's see. I'll tap on that marriage one, that parent one, my work one, my relationships, my school, and, and all this stuff. But I don't really need you in that part of my life. Verse 4 again, And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Verse 5, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word I will let down the nets. So Jesus is telling this professional fisherman how to do his job. And this is a man who's made a living catching fish. This is a guy who knows his fishing. I mean, talk about the audacity of Jesus. right? He, he, can't, he can't even get the right time of day right to go fishing. You don't go in the middle of the day. Right? You, you, don't, you don't do that. Fish don't show up there. right? And Jesus can't get where to fish right either. He just, throw your nets into the deep. Where? Just throw it? Right? And you expect to catch something? And any professional fisherman knows, like, this is, this one's not going to work. That's not going to work. The time of day where you're throwing it. This is epic failure. I mean, how foolish this look, would look to everybody else. And all his like, kind of colleagues who are out there washing their own nets and mending their own nets are like, dude, what is he doing? Right? I mean, look at that guy. He's going fishing now? I mean, wait, isn't that Peter? What, a, what an idiot. What? what who told, Jesus told him to do that? Why is he listening to this carpenter turned preacher about fishing? And he's going in the middle of the day. What an idiot. And the guys with him, right? What are they thinking? I cannot believe he agreed to this. I cannot believe Simon. We, we're going to look so dumb. I just spent hours washing that net and fixing that net and now we're going to go do this. But Simon obeyed. Simon obeyed, even though he had this kind of resistance at first by saying, Master, you know, I fished all night. Didn't catch anything. I mean, don't you know this? But he, he was obedient. And Simon, Simon essentially tells Jesus that it won't work in verse 5, right? We toiled all night and took nothing. We tried that already, right? Not only that, we spent these hours washing our nets and, and fixing them. But he does submit, as shown by this reference to Jesus as Master. I wonder what was going on through Simon's head at this time, right? Like, man, the nerve of that guy. He, he wasn't the one working all night long. And I know this area. I fished this my whole life. We went to the best spots at the best times, and there's nothing. I know everything about this lake. I, I, I've made a living fishing this lake. And why didn't he say something earlier? Why did he wait until all the nets are washed and we're all done and now he wants me to cast this stuff out? Where? where? And, and, and we won't catch anything. It won't be at a depth we can catch. It's not at a time of day we can catch anything. This is just so dumb. But Simon did obey and he said, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now that in a nutshell is discipleship to Jesus. This obedience, this submission is the key in our relationship with Jesus. When things don't make sense, when failure seems inevitable, when what we know so well is challenged, when we look poorly in the eyes of others, but we submit to Jesus and His Word regardless, that's what causes us to grow into being faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Simon had the Word of Jesus, much like we have the Word now. How 
How do we know we're forgiven? We have the Word of God. How do we know we can have a relationship with the Holy God? The Word of God. How do we know we're blessed? How do we know we have hope? The Word of God. And in all this uncertainty of life, we have the Word of God. What Simon was asked to do didn't make any sense. It's incredibly inconvenient. These guys were busy washing their nets. They were busy repairing them, right? The nets could get caught on these rocks and they get damaged. And so they had to repair them. They had to mend them for the following night's expedition. This is their living. This is what they did. They, they had to catch fish to eat. Also, it'd be one thing if it were just Simon. But this wasn't a one-man operation. Right? You notice in verse 2 that fishermen is plural. And in verse 5, the word we is used. So when Jesus calls, it's not just for you. Jesus' calling is not just for you. There are others inconvenienced and touched as well. Your spouse, your kids, your classmates, your people at work, your friends, your extended family. A relationship with Jesus is not a relationship of isolation from the world. It is with others around you. And in areas we are most familiar with, most comfortable in, that that we have expertise in, are the areas where we are going to be challenged and stretched. It was so for Peter. It was a fisherman. And it was there that Jesus challenged his obedience and his submission to him. And it is those places that God reveals to us that he is indeed God. Right? That, that is where he showed Simon his authority. That is where he revealed Simon's calling and where others could be influenced by Simon's commitment there. What are the reasons some of us play it so safe? What makes it difficult for us to venture into deeper waters? Jesus said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. He had to go out a little bit further. He had to have a little bit more faith. It wasn't just simply just throw it out into the shallows there and try to catch something. He had to go into the deep. What is it about shallow waters and the reasons as to why we like it there? I think it's in our text with Simon's answer to Jesus in verse 5. That, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. We have our reasons, right? We've tried already. We've worked hard at it already. We know the results. Whatever those reasons are, we have a ton of them. We're really good about this first part of that verse, aren't we? But some of us don't get to the latter part of that verse. But at your word, I will let down the nets. See, that's key. But at your word, I will. Because you say so, I will. And even if we're inconvenienced, even if it doesn't make sense, even if we look like idiots before the world, I do it because you say so. And that is a place where we see the authority, the glory of God manifest. right? Are you at a place where Simon was and you've said, Master, we've toiled all night and took nothing. You have reasons A, B, and C. You have all these stuff. Are you in a place where you're still on the shore, mending your nets, making these excuses, yet you do call Jesus your Master, but you're still making these excuses? And maybe you haven't even dipped your toes in. Maybe you have. But are you in the shallows perhaps? You haven't fully committed. You come to church and you get a little taste of what the Christian life is like by parking your car here, coming in here, singing a few songs here, listening to the Word, and heading home to wait for the next week. Oh, that water was nice. I took a little dip. My toe was just in there, and and that was pretty nice. But now I'm going to close that church app or that Jesus app, and I'm going to go live the rest of my life. Is that the Christian life? 
Is that the Christian life? What are we doing with our lives that Jesus came to redeem? What are we doing with the Word of God? Are we stuck in the first half of Simon's statement? And have we not come to, but at your word, I will? How many of us are stuck at those excuses? I toiled all night. I tried that. But you haven't done it. Verses 6 and 7. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. The calling of Jesus sometimes doesn't make any sense to us. Neither do the results. Right? This, is, this is a miracle even the, in the eyes of fishing professionals. This isn't something that happens in the best fishing days, let alone the very next day when they didn't catch anything. And it was at the worst time to expect any results. Everything is counter to getting anything. Right? Simon knew as a fisherman that this was nothing short of a miracle. This type of thing does not happen. And because of his expertise, because of his familiarity, because of his comfort level, in something that he knew just so well, Jesus showed him something really deep within him through that. What was that? His sin. His sin. Verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Simon Peter saw his sin. He confessed his sin. He said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Is this how we'd react? Imagine someone who was hearing this for the first time or listening to this for the first time. You don't know what's happening. You're just getting to these verses. A load of fish is being caught so large it's breaking the nets and you had to call your other fishermen buddies to help. What do you think would happen next if you went on to read verse 8? On your, Think about what you would read in verse 8. Not what it says, but what would you think? You'd probably think, Whoa, get a camera! Right? It, okay, it's not on the iPad yet, but give me, a, give me one on your phone. And you'd naturally want a picture of the result. right? You'd want the picture of the physical miracle. You'd direct the photographer to capture and picture all the fish, all the people involved to pull up these breaking nets, how the ships are kind of tilting over while you're pulling these things up. And then you'd probably want this caption right on the picture when you submit it to the the, the Lake Gennesaret Gazette or something, how local fishermen, Simon Peter, trusted in Jesus and as a result caught all these fish. And now he's set for life because he's going to write a book and go on tour with his story and be on radio and have a show on, of his life on TLC. Simon Peter, Aquaman. right? And, it, and it's probably how it would be if I won the lottery. Right? Like, wow, yeah, I don't have to work. You know, but who would expect Simon Peter's response? Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. That, that doesn't make sense. You just had the biggest catch of your life. Do, do you know how long you'd have to fish to get that many fish? I mean, each fish, that's, that's representing some shekels there. Right? You, you don't have to work for a while. This, this is a salesperson, right? Catching a whale. And if for those of you who are in sales, I think you kind of get this a little bit better. In, at my former job, we had this department called the Personal Investment Management Group. And this group was for wealthy folks. And the minimum investment at the time for a U.S.-based client was $3 million, And for an 
international client was $5 million, minimum. So I remember uh, one of the investment counselors walking into our, our group lunch, because we had lunch every Friday uh, together just to talk and stuff like that, and he had this big grin on his face, and he had a skip in his step. He was just beaming, and another colleague walks in a little before him and announces, he caught one! He caught a whale! And he, what that meant was he landed a client who was investing hundreds of millions of dollars one shot. Now, what did he want? Everyone to know. He wanted everyone to see who the man of the hour was. He took the head of the table. Everyone was talking to him about it. And it was great. It was exciting. I was, I was happy for him. And that's the type of moment it was for Simon Peter. This is a once-in-a-lifetime catch. And you'd expect a moment to bask in the success, right? Like, check me out. Like, I got all this stuff. But it's not so for Simon Peter. He says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Why? Why did he say? Because in that miracle, the majesty of God was what was revealed to him so much more than that net full of fish. He did see people healed by Jesus. He did see demons cast out of people. He did see his mother-in-law's fever rebuked by Jesus. But he didn't, didn't quite get it until now. He saw all that stuff before. He didn't miss any of that stuff. And this is, this is how it's like for some of us. right? God has shown you one thing after another, one thing after another in your life. Miracles. Good stuff that's happening, and it's just not that big of a deal. It just doesn't catch your attention. It's just, uh, just God. That's just God. He's just, he just, he's just being God. And, and you're getting closer and you're closer toward this complete commitment to Jesus, but you're not quite there yet. Even though you've seen all these things, when is that big fish moment going to happen for you? When is it? And I don't know. It might be today. And maybe where you're most comfortable, maybe where you're most familiar, maybe where you're most knowledgeable, because that's a place where Jesus will show you that he is Lord as well. That the place where you claim as your spot that you are Lord, that you are master of it, you'll be knocked off and he will show himself manifest as majesty. And Jesus has shown his authority throughout the universe, including the fish of the sea, And any success we come into is due to the grace of Jesus. Simon Peter's reaction of depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord, this is nothing new. We see this throughout Scripture, right? When we truly see God, when we truly see Him, when it finally clicks for us, we have similar reactions. You take a look at Genesis chapter 18, verse 27, where Abraham answered God, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. It happens in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 5, Isaiah says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Simon Peter is no different. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You take a look at the differences in terms in the titles from verse 5, Master, and then verse 8, Lord. Right? Simon Peter obeyed the Master in verse 8. Right? He fell to his knees before Jesus as Lord in verse 8. 
he calls him master in verse 5. Simon Peter obeyed in submission to Jesus in verse 5. But he, re- he recognized Jesus' holiness in verse 8. And he bowed down to Jesus as Lord as a result of seeing his own sin. If you don't know Jesus, verse 8 looks totally absurd to you. What's the big what, What's that? You should be celebrating. You won the lottery. What is this? If you're on the shore, if you're, if you're dabbling in the shallows, you kind of get some of this. If you're kind of familiar with, with Christianity, you kind of get some of this. If you're totally self-absorbed in yourself and you think that your relationship with Jesus is fine, and you're caught up in your own stuff, you're caught up in your own comforts, your own expertise, your own familiarities, this doesn't make sense to you at all. Right? This is harder for you to understand. This is harder for a Pharisee to understand. And we'll get to more of that uh, in the next five years when we get to Luke chapter 18. But anyway, um, but that Luke chapter 18 is about this parable, right? One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Right? And based on everything the Pharisee had done, he felt that God should accept him. And the tax collector, on the other hand, says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If you're a Christian, you totally understand that. And for those of you who accepted Jesus a while ago, you knew about sin, but how much more do you know now? How much more do you know now? If you don't, and you've been a Christian a while, and you don't know more about your sin now, we need to talk. We need to talk. Seriously. And some of us are okay with verse 5, right? We're okay with acknowledging Jesus as Master. But how many of us are at verse 8? Acknowledging Jesus as Lord. Bowing down before Him. Confessing that we are sinful. Knowing that. Not just saying that. Not just saying Master, but knowing that with our actions, with our minds, with our spirit. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. This is not Simon Peter's conversion. He was already converted. Right? This is not a conversion story. This is a story of Simon Peter's spiritual journey. This is the story of his development as a disciple of Jesus, of his spiritual maturity. This wasn't his conversion. His conversion happened before. And as Christians, we know this, but has it clicked like this for us as it did for Abraham, as it did for Isaiah, as it did for Simon Peter? This is who we are. We're sinners. We're saved by the grace of God. This is a holy God who knows everything about you. Everything. And He still wants to be in your company. That's crazy to me. That, is, that doesn't make sense to me. There are people who know very little about me, who can't stand me. And they don't want to be near me. They don't want to be in the same room. And here is God who knows everything about me. Everything. And He wants to be intimately involved in my life. It's crazy. That's, that's as crazy as my wife is crazy. Right? I, I don't get her sometimes. I think sometimes, I wouldn't be married to me. Like, what are, what are you doing? And, but it's like that. I don't get it. Do you guys get this? Do you understand the magnitude of God's grace? And, and you know what is nuts about this? This is the beginning. We're in chapter 5. There are 19 chapters to go. This is just the start of a spiritual journey for him. 
But this is what sets Simon Peter off to fully committing his life to Jesus. This is the start. He's not perfect. We're going to read a lot of imperfections of later on of what he does and what he says and things like that. Verses 9 and 10. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that, were they, that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will, you will be catching men. You see how redemptive Jesus is? Right? At, at Simon Peter's confession, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Jesus could have said, You know what? You're right. You are a sinful man. James, let's go. Leave this sinful man to his own. You know, he could have done that. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus addressed his fear, and then he provided hope. Right? Jesus gave Simon a purpose in his life. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Do not be afraid. What, what, that's kind of interesting to me. Because when people see angels, they say, do not be afraid. When people see, see God, don't be afraid. I think Jesus, in, in some ways, is self-proclaiming, I'm God. Don't be scared. Right? And so, Jesus didn't say that Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's confession was wrong because it wasn't. He was right on. He is a sinner. He is a sinner. And he doesn't deserve to be around a holy Jesus. But Jesus is telling him that being with him is precisely what he needs because the Savior is here to forgive you of your sin. You need me. You need me. And that not only does Jesus provide this pardon from his sin, Jesus provides this purpose for Simon's Peter, Simon Peter's life moving forward. Jesus said, from now on. This is an awesome kind of statement. No more catching fish and bringing them to market, only to, only to be sold to be dead on someone's plate. From now on, you will be catching people and bringing them to life. That's the hope that Jesus provides to us. From now on, wherever you are now, whatever things you're struggling with now, all this stuff, you can have a new start. From now on. Jesus can provide that because... It's in His character to be gracious. He is a God of new beginnings. He's not going to hammer you on the things of your past. He's not going to dwell on your past and make you feel guilty and shame from your past. He wants to heal you from it, though. He wants to bring you out of it. He wants you to grow from it. So you're going to have to deal with some, some stuff back there. You can't ignore it. But there are bigger and better things for you to do from now on. And some of you need to deal with your past in healthy ways and not unhealthy ways. And if you do, and if you're struggling with your past and you're trying to deal with things, please approach us. We would love to pray with you. We would like to see how we can be of help to you. And perhaps you may also need to hear from now on that you need to be released from all the stuff that is holding you back. That Jesus says from now on. And for those who don't have that Jesus app open all the time, from now on. Open it and keep it open. From now on. Whatever your new commitment is to do for Jesus, from now on, do it. Verse 11, And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed Him. They are totally committed to following Jesus. 
Right? If, you, if you ever doubt with what you should be doing in your life or what you're doing currently or anything like that, default to this. Follow Him. Right? In, in everything we do, you think, follow Jesus. That's your default. What am I going to do in my life? I don't know. I'm stuck here. Follow Him. I don't know what that is. Follow Him. Pray. Right? Seek Him. Ask Him. Seek wise counsel. Follow Him. He'll provide you the answers. He's not going to just leave you alone and just cast you by the wayside. He'll don't be scared of where you're at. Follow me. Right? Don't be scared. Come on. And so, there, there's this blessing, right? There's this an abundant blessing God desires for us. In the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and 3,000 3, souls were added in chapter 2. A few days later, in chapter 4, 5,000 believed. The things that, have, that were going through Peter's mind, the things that must have been going through Peter's mind at that time, what happened here in chapter 5 of Luke, no doubt must have been just going through his mind. And you're like, how? Like, What do you mean? Well, the way Peter caught men was similar to how he caught the fish that day. Right? How? Well, it wasn't based on his fishing equipment. It wasn't based on his skills or his expertise as a fisherman. In fact, everything that he did was counter to how a successful catch should go. But what happened? He caught more than he ever did. How? But at your word, I will let down the nets. That's how it was done. The way Peter caught the fish that day is the same way that he caught people in Acts chapter 2 and 4. Right? By obedience, by submission to Jesus, at his word. It's pretty simple. He followed Jesus. Right? He followed him. He didn't follow a pastor, a man. He didn't follow a church, right? He didn't follow some systematic theology. He didn't follow anything else. He followed Jesus. He followed God. What did that following entail? And this might make us uncomfortable. They left everything. They left everything. They left all that wealth. That big catch of fish, they left it. It was the biggest catch they ever had. It was their financial security. It was their financial stability. This was the foundation of their livelihoods. The livelihoods were based on this profession, but that physical miracle wasn't as great as Jesus Himself. What was formerly built on something else is now on Jesus Right? All of their security, all of their stability, all of their purpose, their identity is now in Jesus. Not as fishermen, but fishers of men. And how many of us are here at this level of commitment to Jesus? Right? There are a lot of bright people here, really bright people. Some who are attending world-class universities like Cal, and some who have graduated from world-class universities. Some who have really good jobs at really reputable companies. Some of you are really committed to really great social causes, and those are all great things, and those are all things that can be really rewarding. You can be really successful in the world, but where does it all lead if not with Jesus? Are you willing to be fully committed to Jesus, leaving everything to follow Him? And this is going to look different for different folks, right? Some of you may be called to missions. Some of you may be called to plant churches. Some of you may be called to full-time ministries. But for, for many, it will be just to minister where you're at. 
where you're currently at, to be the gospel where you're at to people who don't know Jesus as their Savior. There's no way I can get into your office or your schools. You're there. Right? So there are close to 450,000 people in Oakland. Documented. It's probably way more than that. Do we have a loss, a heart for the lost in Oakland, for those lost within that 450,000 people? There are more than 50 distinct neighborhoods in Oakland. Do we have a heart to serve the common needs and the distinct needs of each neighborhood in our city? As a church, I think we do. As a church, what we would love to see is us occupy this neighborhood, San Antonio community, grow it, and then go to another neighborhood and serve the distinct needs of that neighborhood. Wherever that is. That we can be salt and light to that neighborhood and and serve the common needs, but then also their own distinct needs. And that's partly why we do so much outreach here. That's that's partly why we've offered these back-to-back evangelism classes, the one that Mark's teaching now. But how are we doing individually? Where are you at? Where are you at individually? And have you also joined in on where the church is at corporately to where we're trying to do these things to reach out to folks like David shared his story yesterday with those two women at Invisible Children, that event. These things are outreach-oriented for us. And we live in this beautifully diverse city. I love this city. I know that many of you love this city. How will people hear about Jesus unless you tell them? Who will go out to them if you don't? Let's pray. Lord, your your challenge to us is really evident in these verses. And we're all on different stages in our life. And I pray, Lord, that as we are continuing on our spiritual journey, that we are closer to that point where we are ready to leave everything to follow you. And for those who are kind of in the shallows or are kind of on the shore, and as you are calling them, Lord, and you're so patient with that, I pray, Lord, that that commitment there, um, that our church is equipped by your Holy Spirit to encourage that and to draw that, Lord. And by no means are we trying to be exclusive to only those who are just fully committed and following you, Lord, because you came for the sick. You came for the sinner. So we want to be the whole gamut as a church. But Lord, we do want to strive to being fully committed. In Jesus' name, amen.